This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my BFF and co-host, Sadie Carpenter. Sadie, do you want to tell everybody who our wonderful guest is today? Yeah, so you know her, you love her. We have the beautiful, the elegant, the classy Dinah Housefire on the pod with us today. Well, hello. I don't think I've ever been called those string of words all together um, and and felt like you meant it. So that was really sweet of you. <laughs> you know I love you. Classy and elegant. Um, that's kind. Classy is pushing it, I think. <laughs> I would agree with Gavi on that one because I know my own brand. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. But I'm going to stick by elegant. I think you're very elegant. Thank you. Uh, that is that is very sweet of you. Glamorous AF. Oh yeah, definitely glamorous. Glamour. Oh well, you know, we do what we can with what we've got. 
Um, anyway, what are we here today to talk about? We're here to talk about how much I love Dinah. Oh, well, that oh. too. That's um, fantastic. Was there another topic for this episode? Not really. Oh, okay. We were, what cool. we were going to make. I mean, I have like two hours got, of right? content. Yeah, it's good. If you guys remember, uh, maybe like a year ago, it was almost a year ago, we did our first Pride Month. Yeah. And one of the, the episodes that we did that month was we had Dinah come on our show and tell us, Dinah, you told us why you are the monarch of missions messiness. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is the best title that I could ever have been, been given. So I appreciate that from you guys. It, it, it was definitely earned. Um, and so what we've been doing is we've been write, uh, asking our listeners to send us stories of things that happened to them while they were on their missions trips. So we were thinking, what an excellent opportunity for us to ask Dinah to return to this podcast once again. And what do you bring to the table? What is your, uh, uh, it's your, uh, my je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Voix dire is jury selection. I was on uh, jury duty lately. <laughs> and joie de vivre so. is something else entirely. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lord. Um, well, I bring to the table a weird mix of, of things. Um, some some personal history of growing up fundy and uh, having done the whole missions thing in my, uh, in my youth. I say that as though I'm 900 years old. And... Also, now I am a, a drag entertainer in Arkansas and um, just embracing the weird uh, constellation of things that make me who I am. Well, hey, that's going to be a great time. It's going to be a lot of fun in this conversation today. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast that is mostly about my best friend and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there are several things that you can do to really help us out. One thing you can do is you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where you will find extended and uncensored versions of our show's episodes. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. And you can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Am I missing anything? Is there anything else we need to announce? We need to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. Of course. And then I have one other thing after you get to that. Oh, okay. Well, our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, uh, the people who really keep the lights on for this show, who really make it possible for us to make these episodes for you, you are Andrew Rocant, Brittany, it's Brittany, bitch, Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hope Norum, Jen Kracharski, Jessica Tambo, Tambo like Rambo, Kate Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, aka the one and only Peter Pan from Broadway, Megan Arndt, 
Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Sadie's actual BFF Morgan, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Thank you so much to all of our patrons and a special thank you to the Faith Promise Missions patrons for keeping our show going. The one other thing that we that I wanted to announce is that we would like to do listener stories once again for Pride Month this June. So if you have any story related to growing up as an LGBTQ person in the IFB or in another oppressive religious group, you can send us happy stories, sad stories, uh, stories of how uh, your queerness related to you getting out of the group that you were in. We would love to hear your stories. We'd love to amplify your voices. If you send us a story, we do intend to read it on the podcast. So make sure you let us know uh, what name you'd like to be referred by. If you need a pseudonym, let us know. And uh, let us know your correct pronouns so that we can refer to you properly. All right. So without further ado, Dinah, do you want to maybe remind everybody who's listening to the show why you are the monarch of of missions messiness before we... (laughs) get into it yeah i i don't want to like give you the long version because i've you've already got like a two-hour version of that somewhere but yeah as a uh, college student i applied to and was selected for a quote-unquote undercover mission trip to china um wherein i um was a full-time university student uh this was for uh the baptist missionary association of america which is basically like a a missions board Uh, you guys have talked a little bit about that before but i went with them on a pilot program as uh, of sending students to china um to be missionaries while they are students um and in that time i was not great at it and really didn't win the world to the Lord and and changing their entire worldview to fit my very white Southern United States centric worldview. But anyway, um, while there, I was living with a fellow college student um, who was on the team. There were six of us, and he and I developed a sort of unhealthy relationship with one another uh, that was pretty codependent, um, and ended up having. Uh, inappropriate contact, I think, is was the terminology that ended up being used. But oh, no. I know um, we did not keep all of our no no squares to ourselves. Is kind of how that went. Oh. Um, That's generally frowned upon. <clears throat> you know, it's heavily frowned upon. Actually, well, you, you uh, have to be a pastor to get away with that. That's where you went wrong. He, you know, he is now. So who knows? Oh, but my. no, I, I don't want to put that on him at all. Um, they. <laughs> um, but. Um, that happened. And then, um, obviously that was a lot of like emotional, like torture, trying to think through how to reconcile the fact that I'm there as a missionary. I have been through essentially junior deputation, raising funds and traveling all over to all these churches. And, and I am breaking the rules that I'm there to tell other people they should be following. Um, so when I ended up coming back to the U S I had to, uh, ironically enough, debrief with this board of old preacher men and old uh, missionaries and let them know what was going on. And they told me that basically the roommate person and I shouldn't really ever see each other again. And they stuck me into Christian counseling with this 
husband and wife team who are medical professionals and uh, had their own private counseling, like life coaching slash medical practice. And as far as I know, they still do. I haven't looked into that. And after being counseled by them for, oh, uh, a a few months, probably, uh, they decided that I had a demonic attachment that I had probably picked up in China and that it was something that needed to be released from me so that I could stop struggling with the demon of homosexuality. And I'm sure they were also saying the demon of, you know, pornography or impure thoughts or, you know, whatever. And so as a result, they had me read um, This Present Darkness, which is a, a novel about the idea that there is a literal war going on all around us in the spiritual world that um, is between angels and demons. And they had me read that as homework. And then uh, they brought me in and sort of surprised me with an exorcism wherein they anointed me with oil and prayed over me and uh, did all these things to like affirm that the demon would release its power over me through the name of Jesus Christ and and all that kind of good stuff. No fireworks, no spinning head, vomiting, split peach soup or anything like that, which retrospectively is is disappointing. Um, <laughs> but in that process, they asked me to determine where I wanted my, my demon to go. And uh, this is, I believe, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, this is probably Gavi's favorite part of the story is that there is... Uh, man jewelry involved and and (laughs) i decided that i needed to cast my demon into uh this ring that i had purchased while i was in china i'd purchased matching ones for myself and my roommate uh which tells you how healthy that that whole situation really was i think it's cute uh well thanks you know i don't don't know that he still has his um i'm guessing did he cast his demon into it too i don't know that they told him he had a demon that's there is some like sus stuff there that I and I you know I'm not allowed to or wasn't allowed to contact him. So I don't know, maybe he did. Maybe there's a set of demonic Chinese rings in existence in the world. But there is definitely one demonic Chinese ring because you put your gay demon into one. Or it could be like you know you like wonder twins the rings and then Then what? Does the gay cancel out or does it multiply? I don't know Wonder Twins. I've only seen it like referenced to on other places. I um That's because you didn't grow up in a cult and only watch cartoons from like the sixties to the eighties. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what you turn into, but you could you could wonder twins. I'm wondering if maybe that's how you get married in the like dark realm. Is like mm-hmm. you you exchange your demonic rings. Maybe if you take you have to take your ring on like a journey and cast it into the fires from whence it came in order to destroy it and destroy the demon inside of it. Well, Heather Heath and I have both uh, volunteered to (laughs) attempt to wear the gay Chinese demon ring uh, in an effort to see what happens. The only issue is that neither neither she nor I identify as straight. So I don't know how effective our experiment is going to be. And I just, I do not know enough straight people to get a good sample size. I mean, you could put it on me and see if it makes me gay. Uh, Would you do that? Because I mean, you don't like if I'm, if I'm single at the time, it can't (laughs) hurt. Right. Like if I was in like a serious relationship and I, and like, that was like there to like it up, you know what I'm saying? Like 
if I'm in a serious relationship and I put on the gay demon ring and it turns me gay, that's a problem because that's not just me that like. Yeah, it's a it's a very small risk, but I can see why you wouldn't want to take that risk. Yeah, that, see, that's the problem. <laughs> OK, but you're not in a relationship right now. I'm not. So okay. what, if, what if we set up some sort of booth and charge people like a dollar to try on the gay demon ring? And then um, we donate the proceeds to like an LGBTQ organization. And so like if it works and it turns them gay, then they've just helped their own cause. And if it doesn't, then they've just helped my cause. But that's why that's why you're qualified to talk about (laughs) all forms of mission messiness, because. Yes, I've seen some messiness. For sure. And I will say I've been on other missions as well, but that's the one that is definitely the the headliner. Uh, I've been on some medical missions and and some uh, in the U.S. missions as well. I'm sorry this happened to you, but I'm also I'm glad that you told this story because that story is what brought the gift of you into our lives. So there is a there is a positive outcome. Yeah, we were uh we saw Dinah tell the story in the Facebook group and Sadie were like we're like yo, <laughs> we have to get this person on our show. Yep. <laughs> and then uh people were being bigoted on Twitter. We were going to do like one maybe two Pride month episodes uh last June and then people were being bigoted on Twitter and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no fuck this. We're going to do a whole month." It's great. That's I love the, the hard-headedness that you have about your passions, Sadie. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. That's um I don't I don't deal well with people telling me what to do. <laughs> so I typically uh malicious compliance is very much my jam. <laughs> so we should get into these missions trip stories. Um, Let's talk about some missions trip stories. And Dino, you may have some stories to to throw in with some of these. Oh yeah, and I mean, like I said, I've been through the process, so like I may have a little bit of insight on how some of these things work. Okay. So our first story is from Caitlin, and she says, "As a teen, I went on a mission trip with my youth group." where the mission was to go to a neighboring state to a church to basically help with a VBS for a week. VBS is Vacation Bible School, right? Yes, mm-hmm. good job. Yeah, for to help with a VBS for a week during the summer. I wanted to be a teacher, which I now am. Oh, congratulations, Caitlin. So I was all about working a VBS. I got pulled for a witnessing team instead of working for the VBS. I told my youth pastor... I had an anxiety disorder and wasn't comfortable serving on that team. Oh, no. I was told I'd been chosen by the leaders because of my leadership potential. That was enough to convince me. The witnessing team was put in neon shirts that said, ask me in massive letters. Oh, no. We were instructed to tell people to ask me about Jesus. And when when they inevitably said, ask you about what? We, a group of teenagers, were plopped in an emergency room waiting room in a hospital with no adult. We were told to witness to the people in the waiting room. Eventually, a man who I now see was clearly suffering from drug addiction tried to solicit me for money and wouldn't leave me alone. It was frightening. I have only recently realized how insane and predatory this whole thing was and it has led to several panic attacks at the time. Mm. Also to add, we were kicked out by security for obviously having no business being there. Woo! Yikes. 
Yeah, we picked this one to start off with because we thought we should just jump right into the trauma. We have some funny ones coming later, but (laughs) nothing like starting off an episode with with big trauma. Yeah, I mean, this is traumatic, but it also like it is kind of funny. It's funny, though, right? Like she wanted to be a teacher, and they were like, "Actually, why don't we make you harass people?" Yeah, and that well, that happened to Heather too. She wanted to be the teacher for the Bill Gothard children's thing, Mm -hmm. and then that I can't remember the name of at the moment. And then it was like a bait and switch thing to get her to go to the um, training center. Wow. So I wanted to talk about witnessing in inappropriate places like hospital waiting rooms because I have been trolling my memory to see if I can come up with, have I ever witnessed in a hospital waiting room? I would not be surprised to find out that I had done it as a patient at some point, but I don't think, um, well, y'all know my story about praying at the dentist office, but I don't, have you not heard that one? I don't know. I can't remember. You have you've told so um, many stories. The, so I, I was a I was a teenager. I had to have some work done. The numbing shots didn't take. So I very loudly prayed that God would fix it and make the next because they could only give me one more try at the numbing stuff, or I would have to go home and come back and do it again. So I extremely loudly prayed in the dentist chair that uh, God would make the next numbing shot take. You were putting like a hedge of protection around your own gums. Yes. <laughs> um, it did take, so I don't know. Won't he do it? I, I, well, I found out I found out recently, um, really good friend of mine who listens to the show has been trying to get pregnant, and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that uh, God would allow her to get pregnant and have a baby, and <laughs> she is now pregnant. She's, Uh-oh. I think, by the time this comes out, she'll be like 16 weeks. Uh, but she's having a miserable pregnancy. <laughs> Oy vey. Mm. So now our joke is that I prayed for her to get pregnant and she did, but I forgot to pray for an easy pregnancy and God just uh, takes me really literally. That's kind of like Jesus d- pulling some like monkey paw bullshit. Like, carefully what for. It is. So, uh, so long story short, don't, if you, if you're trying to get pregnant, maybe don't ask me to pray for you unless you in- engage a lot of caveats in that. There you go. So, Dinah, I want to know, what is the most inappropriate place that you've ever tried to witness to somebody? Oh, gosh. I don't feel like I have a ton of, like, super inappropriate places. I do feel like my approach was probably inappropriate. I know that I've tried to witness to people, like, at the DMV. And, (laughs) um, you know, we're already stressed and kind of pissed off having, like, a stranger be like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, at you isn't great. Um I have definitely witnessed on airplanes mid-flight, which is... Oh, no! That's what I was thinking about, Sadie, was, yes, airplane mid-flight, you're stuck next to me for the next three hours or whatever. And, like, have you seen the the video that's going around of, like, the Christian praising the Lord on the airplane? And it's like... I saw that. rather jump out. I have. It was it was fortunately not that bad. Because the last time I recall witnessing on an airplane, the person very politely shut me down and was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And that was the end. I don't recall pestering them or, or anything worse. Thankfully. I think the last time I remember really like witnessing on an airplane, I ended up finding like this businesswoman <clears throat> who was like really into it. And I 
um, she was, I guess, already Christian, but like she was just like, tell your story, go off, King. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, wonderful. And then like I gave her my information so that we could keep in touch. And, you know, obviously that never happened. Like we did not, she did not reply to my, my pestering further emails, but I remember her being like really sweet. And now retrospectively, I'm like, oh, she was just being nice. That was kind of her to not like make me feel like the complete weirdo that I was being. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have, I have so many memories like that from even like door to door witnessing where really like, realizing oh that this the situation was not what i thought it was at the time mm-hmm. yeah retrospect lets you go oh no yeah well i know i've i know i've also witnessed to people who were on the clock working oh god you know, like walmart employees or uh-huh. something oh. which is which is pretty bad as well and I, I do feel bad about that. <laughs> right. Oh my God, Sadie, you just sparked something in my memory. Oh my God. Have you been witness Which, to while working? Uh, not successfully. <laughs> well, well, that seems so. obvious. Yeah. So I was I was working at the Guitar Center in Salem, Oregon. I worked there for a couple of years back in like the mid 2010s. And I I think it was like right before the Christmas season. Because Christmas season was really busy. So we'd always like, I, you know, if it was like right around Black Friday around that time, you know, I, I was going to be busy. I was going to be, you know, doing merchandising or getting new stuff in stock or prepping stuff to go out on the floor, just or, or, you know, trying to sell something to somebody because it was a busy shopping season. But I remember somebody like coming in, they gave me what I know now is like a gospel tract and told me that like all of the answers are that like I came up and I, you know, I'd say, Hey, can I help you find anything as you're supposed to do when you walk in? And they gave me, they're like, Oh, I'm looking to buy a expensive guitar. Um, and I can't remember. I think it was either like a Martin or a Taylor acoustic, which are, you know, several thousand dollars. I'm like, okay, great. Because, you know, that would have been a big sale for me. And then when I got their information, because, you know, they were looking at it, um, and they were going like to think about which model they wanted to buy they gave me a gospel tract and said my information is in here and i'm like oh, okay cool and so i go to put it into the computer and it has a message in it about jesus oh no it, it seems like that wasn't super effective no yeah Wait, which is why i had to start this podcast with you so that i can eventually win you over yeah i was gonna say you realize it is a long game right like this is all about the conversion of one jewish man to evangelical christianity yeah it's it's been a really long con but i feel like i feel like i'm getting there it'll eventually work you've spent more on this conversion than jim bob did per vote (laughs) no that made me oh my god I definitely have been witness to while I was on the clock working retail, which I did for many, many years. And people would just all of a sudden just whip out their faith right there in the Apple store. And it would be like, all right, but did you want Apple care or I have Jesus care? And, and I'm that like, works even Jesus better. Replace screens. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I'll pray a hedge of protection around my MacBook. that you know no one ever said that to me but that would have actually like probably taken me out that's really that would be really funny 
So how many of us have chronic anxiety because we were or struggle to keep social norms? Like how many of us are just a little bit socially awkward because we were forced to break social norms to witness to people? I know that's a very real thing for me and a lot of other people that I've talked to. Yeah, I have a theory that my like really terrible track record as a missionary is partly because of like social anxiety. And I would just be like, um, I think it'd be really great if you would pray this prayer, but like, I don't want you to feel weird about that or about me. And so like, if you don't want to do that, that's also okay. But like you will burn in hell, but like, it's going to be fine. But it won't, <laughs> it won't, but like, this is just for your own good, but I don't want to make you feel weird. So, you know, that's not an ideal um, recipe for a successful uh, evangelist and missionary. <laughs> and But I do. I just remember being like, I'm going to do it because that's why I'm here. But I'm not going to feel good about it. Here we go. See, I was so not socialized to normal world that I I thought that people either if people didn't receive the message of evangelism that I was trying to give them that it was just because they hated Jesus and or had a demon. I had no concept of people don't want to be talked to by strangers. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I just I did not what? know that was a thing until I was got into being a teenager and started noticing, like being able to read people's micro expressions better and understand like what they were actually saying. So you literally thought that you could just walk up to anybody and say anything like anyone can walk up to anyone at any time. Yeah. As a kid. I'm which I mean, you can, but. But that's like such a huge social taboo that like people don't do that. I don't It really messes with messes with you because then as an adult, how it how it turned out for me was I had a lot of anxiety, like checking out. I love self checkout. Because I have anxiety talking to a cashier. Oh, same. And 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 I think that that's a that's not unique to the experience of having grown up in a cult or a cult like environment or being forced to witness. But I think that that can cause that. It's something that a lot of us a lot of us have. I mean, I I understand why you would have that. It's just so nuts to me that you would literally did not have the concept of you don't just go up to somebody you don't know and. No, when I was a kid, my parents would take me to the McDonald's play place and I would be up in the top of the McDonald's play place with my pocket New Testament witnessing to the other children at the McDonald's play place. And I think uh, to, (laughs) to Gavi's point, though, like the programming is anti that like the programming is you should never feel weird about walking up to strangers because you they need to hear what you have to say. You're actually making their day better. Yeah. like as people in society now, we know that that's just not true. But like, yeah, it's almost like we you were programmed against the norm instead of to understand and work with the norm. Right, and then when you get a little bit older and you realize that there is a norm, right. then it feels real weird. And you're like, wait a minute, what? All those people didn't hate Jesus; they were just hung over. And I knocked on their door at like nine a.m. on a Saturday morning. What? <laughs> <laughs> So do y'all want to move on to the next story? Yeah, let's okay. do that. Um, do you want to read yeah, it? Yeah, I can read the next one. The next one is from Sheena. She says, My personal mission trip efforts were associated with a Southern Baptist church. Lots 
send a few dozen teenagers to quote-unquote disadvantaged areas. Teenagers shoddily build things. Teenagers go home and feel good about themselves. And there are stories in the Facebook group that are similar enough that I won't get into too much detail. Plenty of showing teenagers how to use power tools once and expecting them to be able to build a ramp for a house or a roof over a house. Roof damage from storms in an inexpertly built structure. It probably helped temporarily, but it wasn't a long-term solution. Evening church services, patching ripped jeans with duct tape, things like that. But before my teen years, my family was pretty intertwined with a very culty, non-denominational church somewhere on the U.S. East Coast. That church was inclined to use musical performance as mission work. Hello, David Koresh. Whether it was local or international. They had a partner church in Mexico that we spent at least a decade filling up a five-gallon water cooler jug with pennies to buy them a drum set, which is a top priority for most churches, right? The main members of the worship band were also members of an indie rock style band with variations on the lineup and name. For some, and then uh, she included us a eBay listing where we can see <laughs> one of their albums. Uh, Kung Fu Drive By, she says, is a very classy mockery of others' beliefs. Yikes. Yikes. The church band wow. in whatever iteration would go to local venues including clubs and bars and include a prayer or an altar call type element at some point and bigger yikes what one of one of my parents was part of the support crew so these were typically family events for us i was elementary or middle school aged and people brought babies it was much more common for us to visit the weird club with rickety stairs and scary bathrooms than to go to other churches the other element was the pastor and his wife taking many, many trips that were paid for by church members' tithes and offerings, or the, or the overarching ministry, also, read by, also run by said pastor. Hmm. They were justified as mission or ministry trips because he preached once or twice. So I'm talking about airfare, nicer hotels, tourist attractions, souvenirs. The lack of financial accountability still grates my cheese a bit. I remember hearing about and seeing pictures from Ireland, South Africa, and many other places. Rude of them. Okay. Wow. There's a lot to talk about here. This is this is really something. <sighs> what this this is all like that last bit is almost like some Joel Osteen kind of privileged bullshit. Like, so this is Joel yeah. Osteen meets David Koresh is what this is. Yeah, a little bit or like Hillsong. Like it's giving me like a little bit of a Hillsong vibe. Yeah, like Daystar kind of. Yeah. 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 Ugh. Wow. Boo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I, I just want to back up to the part where they were expecting teenagers to do skilled labor without, you know, skill. So I had an experience similar to this. So um, I thought you might. You might well, right. Funny. Um, so when I was before I actually went to China, um, sort of as part and parcel of that entire year long experience, they actually sent us to the Philippines where um, our that association has quite long-standing established missions and, and they have churches there that are at this point, it's weird because they're very much like Southern American uh, Baptist missionary association churches, but they are led entirely by local uh, Filipino people, but they're definitely planted by like Baptist preachers from the, the Southern United States. Anyway, as part of that, you know, they are pretty entwined in their community, which is, is sort of the hope. And I spent some time while we were there, they had like this elderly couple who were living in this really, you know, really sad shack sort of situation in the, in the city where we were living and they needed help like 
getting the house put back to where it would be functional, which 100%, like, yes, let's go help people. Let's actually do tangible good in the world. Like, that part I'm down for. However, they wanted me to build a table. I don't know how to build furniture. Like, I have no idea. Yes, I understand it should have four legs and a top, and they should all be connected, and you should be able to put things on it. But I don't know how to do that. And then, like, we kind of, like half-assed got a table together but it looked like it would fall at any moment and one of the filipino guys that that was there kind of shepherding us through this experience and he was a nice guy but he got really ticked off because the table just looked horrible and i was just like i don't know what you expected i don't even know how to use hand tools very well and then you want me to really make something with no instructions it's not like it was an ikea package and i could sit down on the floor and worry with it for an hour and probably get it put together like this was just like some scrap lumber go make a thing go make me a kitchen table i was just like okay you're setting the bar really high like i can't even do my own like i can't even do anything handy around my own house i certainly can't make furniture out of subpar materials with no instructions i i wonder if this is a fundy thing that's maybe a little broader because I was expected to metaphorically make bricks without straw quite a bit growing up. Yeah. Like I've, I've talked about um, being handed newborn babies and just like, here, take care of this with very little, um, very little training or experience and just kind of had to figure it out. To be fair, that's what parenting is. But also I was like, I was a child. At the time. So I wonder if this whole, like, just make the teenagers figure it out. I wonder if that's, I wonder if we looked, if we could track down the roots of that. Because that's very, that very much fits in with experiences that I've had and that I've heard from other people. I mean, Here's- it possibly is, but I, I it, it's weird because the, the things that they're making you figure out are worthwhile things that need to be done properly. Like, why would you give me an important task to do that like there was literally like an elderly couple that could not do these things for themselves it's weird to put that kind of a task onto people that just don't have the the skills to do it well like it kind of yeah and then you put pressure on them like if you fuck it up i'm going to be really upset at you yeah, I mean, like you said, these are worthwhile. Like knowing how to build a table, ca- taking care of a baby, those are worthwhile things to know how to do. But is this sort of the thing where they're like, "Oh, how has nobody ever taught you how to do this thing before?" Like you, you should like you're just expected to know how to do it. Like as an expectation of culture, like oh, you're you're presenting as a man, therefore you should know how to build things with your hands, or you're uh, presenting as a woman, therefore you should know how to take care of babies like instinctively um i mean there definitely were gendered expectations in that situation like the the amab folks were definitely um expected to be really working harder with the tools and the afab folks were supposed to be cleaning and tidying and and things and doing like more more rudimentary things and they weren't expected really to build things but I don't know. I, and I, and in the cross-cultural context like that, I try not to make too many assumptions because I wasn't dealing with folks who were from the U.S. and had like necessarily my same background <laughs> and point of reference. So like, I try to t- tread a little bit lightly on what the assumptions are um, because it was definitely, you know, we were in a city of like 200,000 people, but it's also just an entirely different lifestyle that I didn't have a point of reference for. So 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I would be comfortable going too deep into what the assumptions are beyond some some pretty obvious basic gendered assumptions about what needed to be done. So for my part, because there isn't that cross cross cultural context barrier, I felt like uh, teenagers that I knew were expected. It wasn't that you were. It wasn't why has no one ever shown you how to do this before, or you should already know how. It was more, you should just figure it out, Mm -hmm. Uh, regardless of the cost to you physically or emotionally. So if we move that table story into like my past, into America, where, you know, teenage boy, figure out how to make a table. It wasn't your dad should have told you sooner. It was you should put your safety on the line to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, then we are going to berate you or punish you or whatever, which is not. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, do, I, I can bring it. I can bring it back up from there. If you want to hear a story that the, the, the thing about the church band going to local bars and having an altar call at the end of their performance. That's incredible. Oh, that's so awful. Can you imagine? You know what I think, though? I think these guys have it figured out, you know, because like it, as a musician, we all know this. It's hard to make a living as an as like a touring musician, as like a gigging musician. It's very difficult to do. But what these guys have figured out how to do is to is to get that money coming in. So they've also got church volunteers to act as roadies. They've got like an audience that will come to every single one of their shows. So even if it's weird to have like the Christian band come and play a show with you because they do an altar call at the end of it, you book them on the bill because they pack the house. So Jonathan's (laughs) Jonathan's high school metal band accidentally played a show with a Christian band once. How'd that go? Um, he they booked the show and it was like three Christian hardcore emo bands and oh Jonathan's high school band, uh, which would the the band name was uh Spinal Remains. <laughs> no, that would no, that's his later band. His high school band was of one blood, which that makes more sense why they would think that mm-hmm. they fit on a bill with Christian bands. That's a great band name. It is. It's from a um it's from a At the Gates or In Flames song, I think. Shall we go to the next mission story? Yeah. Okay, Gavi, do you want to um, read this one? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll read this one. So, uh, okay, so this one is from Danica, and she says to us in this letter, I am a missionary kid who was raised IBLP adjacent. We had literature in our home, and Dad attended a conference in the 80s before we went overseas. But I have long suspected that he did not join just because it would have had required him to submit to someone else. Okay, Oof, rough upbringing. Um, and have since deconstructed. Good for you. I'm currently working through my feelings about my experiences on the mission field, specifically as they relate to colonialism and white Ooh. supremacy. Ding 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 ding. Um, I mean, good for her though. That is a brave undertaking, and a, a yeah. love a love to hear that somebody's intentionally deconstructing that. And that's yeah, hard so. work, dude. Good for you, Danica. To put into context, I am a white American who was a missionary kid in a developing nation in the South Pacific. Ooh, that sounds familiar. I grew up without running water in a hut, very rustic. 
I also grew up with a father who is an abusive narcissist and a mother who enabled him. Ooh, not a good time. I'm so sorry. I firmly believe that my dad chose missions work because it was a way he could have the ultimate say, authority, and zero oversight. I grew up with an unhealthy understanding of love from my parents. However, I experienced love and nurturing from the villagers. The villagers were my family. Now, however, looking back with a better understanding of colonialism for Jesus, trademark, I see that my relationship with the villagers had more subtle racist undertones. Ooh, not fun. It's all very complicated, LOL, and I'm still sorting it out. Well, you got to keep sorting it out, man. But applause to you for, for getting started. Anyway, there is so much more I could share from the abuse and neglect. We, uh, my siblings and I, experienced neglect that although it was justified by my parents by the fact that we lived on a very remote island, the villagers certainly did not neglect their kids in the same way to short-term missionaries I interacted with. Um, YWAM. YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Was, it said it was fun um, in sarcasm. Uh, I don't get that joke. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Go ahead. Two stories of furlough and the dancing monkey routines at supporting churches. My dad prided himself on how clever he was to target wealthy churches. We were once gifted a BMW to drive when back in America. Woo! There's a lot to talk about here. Oh, Danica. Good Lord. Bless you. First of all, like that is a lot. And you are doing some heavy lifting. I just wanted to say that colonialism is okay as long as it's for Jesus. It was read into record. Colonialism is okay as long as it's for Jesus. Um, YWAM, uh, Youth of the Mission, is an organization that is sort of broadly evangelical. They are not too mind. I don't know a ton, a ton about them, but I've interacted with folks who have worked with them before. Especially, I'm trying to think, I... I feel like I spent like a 4th of July or something with a YWAM group. Okay. Is anything worse than super Christian 4th of July? Uh, is there a worse holiday? Because that was my least favorite one. Because we were outside the States, it was actually okay. Because oh, okay. really do all the all the things. I've been to some traumatic like 4th of July, like church services and things, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, we're we're going to do that one this this summer, I think. I hated 4th of July growing up. It makes me yeah. cringe all the way down to my butthole. Like, it is so... Ugh. Anyway, um, they are, like, a not aligned with one specific denomination that I'm aware of. Uh, but they do tons of these, like, short-term uh, sort of service trips for, I would say, late teens and even into your college years. Um, where they specifically often go and um, they go to churches all over the place. They go and work with youth groups or children all over the place and they work their people to death. Um, So they work these students that are going on these trips to death and they're not known for being like nice. Um, They're known for being like good Protestant work ethic uh, American Mm -hmm. Christians. So she's being a little sarcastic there about that, but they're, they t- send all these kids out and, and work them to hell for like a week or two, and then they send them home. So the kids are kind of pissy and snippy because they've never been so exhausted in their lives, and they're probably jet-lagged, and they're in another culture that they don't know, and they may or may not speak the language, and it's just like, woof. 
So not ideal, not not a fun thing to be doing. So when you come back from that, do they ask you, tell us how great it was in front of your whole church. Tell us about your missions trip. And then you have to tell everybody that's such a scam. But then you have you have a war story. So if you were exhausted or got a terrible sunburn or broke a bone while you were over there and you had to go to a clinic wherever whatever country you were in then you're a minor celebrity in your church because you had to you had to suffer for jesus and especially if you had to seek medical care while you were there because then you can exoticize oh well this foreign country their medical system is so bad and i had to sit in a, a er waiting room and on it you can be racist towards the <laughs> medical staff who treated you if they had a if they didn't speak english super well or if they had a strong accent um you can make fun of that and you you get like you have a war story for jesus now yeah i remember i got pink eye while i was in the philippines which is i am uh, certain, you i know i'm certain it's because there were there was an infant and a toddler that were with us and sanitation is just a lot harder and we're living in relatively tight quarters and i also got like ulcers in my mouth while we were there and the pink eye was fine because it was sort of going around (laughs) it was going through all of us which is gross um but like one person like went to the doctor and then i guess the regulations there are different but we didn't ever really have to take anybody else to the doctor it was just like go to the pharmacy and get this thing and be like, Hey, he's also got that thing that she had. And the pharmacist would be like, Oh, okay. And sell it to you, which is efficient. Although maybe not the standard of care we need. And then for my mouth ulcers though, I got some sort of like powdered like Chinese herbal remedy because that was the thing that you use while you're there. And that's what Did the it work? told you to do too. And so that was so exoticized in in the fact that I, oh, we used this weird, it was like um, winter melon or something, like winter melon herb powder or something. I don't remember, but um, it was real gross tasting, and but it worked and it did its job. So I do want to talk about um, deconstructing and working through those the racist undertones of what you thought at the time were moral actions, mm. because I, I really identify with that. I didn't go on missions trips, but I did really love my bus kids in Illinois when I was a teenager and then in Indiana when I was a college student at Hiles Anderson. But as I look back, I know there was definitely racism in a lot of my actions and my thoughts towards those people. And I really don't feel that I'm done working through that. Mm. Like, I I don't want to say, oh, I'm done learning. I think I'm still learning and continually deconstructing that because that's a lot to work through. But what's helped me so far is using an and approach, which I've talked about before on the show. It's how I cope with loving my parents, but recognizing that they raised me in a cult that damaged me. My parents loved me and did their very best with the information that they had, and they still made major mistakes due to cult teachings. So using and in that sentence instead of but is one thing that really helps. So how that applies to mission work or other things that you did for the right reasons, but definitely had undertones that you're not proud of or even blatant racist racist factors that you're not proud of. You could say, I loved the villagers and they were like family and there were racist undertones that I was not aware of. I acted in racist ways and I was doing my very best to love those people. 
I think that phrasing it that way is a thing that has helped me uh, as one stepping stone on the long process of deconstructing all of that and figuring it out. That was very wise, Sadie. Agreed. Well, I've had to deconstruct a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Still working on it. I mean, Dinah, you had a similar experience going to the South Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, too, that was my first time ever really like dealing in a in a very stark, obvious way cross-culturally. And it took me a while to get my head around like what it is, what I what I was doing and how to not be just a total asshole to these people. And even then, and I will say one of the few things that I feel like they tried to do as they got us ready to move into China and, and be on this mission was they tried to give us at least a little bit of cultural awareness training, like Ironically, part of that was we're, we're sending you to China, so let's train you in the Philippines because that's sort of Asian. Um, and so there's a lot of gross, like, no, stop, you know, like they're like, it's Asian, but it's not full China, you know. And mm. so the Philippines is like a, a 50% halfway point, right? Because it, it was, you know, it was colonized by the US for so long. Um, and makes perfect sense. So it's like 50% Asian, 50% like that. that's how they, it's like, they're not throwing you in the deep end. Yeah. That's what they thought was like, we're not going to throw you in the deep end. We're going we're gonna to warm you up first. And which Whoa. is like in and of itself, a, a like incredibly racist thing and like thoughtless. Thing. But so, wow. yeah, I had that experience and like, it took me a while. And what I was going to say though, is they, they did try to hammer home the idea of different isn't wrong. And um, just because they don't do it the way that you're used to, doesn't mean that they're necessarily doing anything bad or wrong. Um, so I'll give them credit for at least a, like making some, attempt at that kind of training i don't know that it was necessarily successful but i I will give them the credit that they at least had the forethought to to try to give us some of that training even if they did it in like a really ham-fisted way but yeah i know i definitely in my time there and then this is a convoluted like timeline or whatever but in the middle of my year in china i went on a trip from like we had uh lunar new year festival there's a couple of weeks there that you get off kind of like your christmas break um in the west but it's a little bit later because of when the new year falls and so i went traveling with my problematically codependent roommate and we went to like uh thailand and cambodia and vietnam and uh, we ended up linking up with a short-term mission trip from our association that had sent some medical missions to Cambodia. And so we actually met up with them in Phnom Penh and rode to this like outskirt province. And and we were like, well, awesome. Like we're going to be, <laughs> we'll be in the neighborhood. Why don't we just tag along? And so we did. And, and then we set up these medical missions and it was weird because medical missions on the face of them seem like a really good idea. But then you realize you're just handing out like Flintstones vitamins and, and like ibuprofen. <laughs> And like, what are you really doing? Like, there are some people that really got probably some some useful treatment out of that. But the vast majority was just like, here are these weird tablets that you don't know what they do. Have seven. What? And, yeah. and it's, it's that complete tone deafness to what the people actually might need. And there's no aftercare. There's no follow-up. There's very little instruction. And it's like, 
Yeah, you ran in here on your white savior horse and you didn't actually think about what the people's needs are and how to do the, like any work in a meaningful way. And at the end of the day, you're just kind of being like a a poverty tourist or something like it's it's very strange it's like volunteerism yeah it is like volunteer i mean that's basically what it is because i remember we set up a clinic in a i don't it wasn't a temple but it was some sort of like temple adjacent community like meeting area um in this real really remote community and it just felt really strange to be in there and like you could see all of the the drums and the instruments that were used in whatever whatever activities happened in that space. And it was like, should we be like unloading our tackle boxes of pills and Ziploc baggies here? Like this isn't, it, it, it did not sit well with me uh, because it just felt like a, here's the answer to all your problems that we're just going to like machine gun spray all over you and you'll be better, even though you'll still be a heathen probably, but at least you'll be a heathen who doesn't have a toothache or whatever. I I see what you're saying about, like, this might have helped people a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody in that area happened to have scurvy and you gave them some vitamin C, you did temporarily help that person. But I what I was thinking about while you were talking is how much more good could have been done instead of sending all of these American teenagers and college kids to go do this job. What if that same amount of money had sent one person who could culturally integrate with whatever healthcare providers from traditional or Western medicine are already in the area? And what if all of that money had been spent on one person who could culturally integrate and then actually treat patients on a recurrent basis? How, how, you know, what would the, how would the effects have been different? And then you're, and then basically you're helping to implement like some actual public health initiatives and, and working on like change, like developing a culture of, of healthy practices and things like that, that may be more nuanced than just throwing, you know, a Z pack in the water and and hoping for the best. Yeah. It feels like it's more about making the people who went there feel like they did something. Uh-huh. than creating any kind of lasting change in the health of that area. And I will I'll point out in that particular instance um, in Cambodia, the folks that we met up with were all middle-aged people that could self-fund their sort of foray into the third world. And so there's a there's even more of a, a bit of a voyeurism there that that's that's pretty upsetting. Do we want to talk about what deputation is? Because she mentioned that. Yeah, we can we can do that real quick. And then let's go ahead and take a break for the offering after we do that. Okay, cool. So deputation, what, what she's referring to there um, for folks who are not, haven't gone through a process of being involved with missions is uh, essentially you are visiting different churches uh, within your religious sect, whatever it may be. Um, and generally you're going to be going and... Uh, preaching a sermon or at least guest speaking and presenting the case for what the mission is that you are intending to go on. And this is after you've been uh, selected to go to a specific mission field. And what you're doing is you're fundraising. And so you're going and you're saying, hi, my name is uh, Dinah Housefire, and I have been chosen by the mission board to be a member of this this pilot group to China. 
And this is why China is so important to me. This is why God has laid this on my heart. And I want to be able to change lives and lead them to the Lord and show them how how beautiful your relationship with Christ can be, yada, yada. And then you're also going to be saying, while I'm there, I'm going to be attending a university. I'm going to be doing these things. And you're making a case for why they should give money toward your particular mission so that you can go and do the thing. Because there's not a necessarily a magical resource that exists and um, your family may not have uh, 20 grand to send you on a mission for for some time. So you go around and hopefully you get either a love offering taken up at the end of the service or more hopefully you get churches that will pledge to donate regularly, whether that's monthly or annually or whatever, to support the missionaries that have come and visited them. And so that was something that I did. I call it deputation junior, but basically I, I went to all these different churches regionally um, and spoke to a whole bunch of them and uh, they donated to my specific mission. But I also know my home church growing up, they supported several uh, missionaries annually. So it was like, okay, we're going to be giving this many thousands of dollars to this missionary this year. And then um, they would, either send it directly to the missionary or I think most of it got sent to the uh, missions board and then the missions board would dispense that money as needed. So that's what deputation is. I know that's kind of dry, but it's worthwhile to know that it's not like you just go, Hey, I'm a missionary. And then you run off to another country and do your own thing. Like you have to rally a lot of support. It's important to know where that cash comes from. And I'm sure that it's anxiety inducing as an adult, but this is really difficult on people who are children of missionaries who are on deputation. I've heard our Tradish talk about this. I've also heard Ben Williams over at Path to Freedom, who you should definitely check out, uh, talk about this concept as well as, as personal friends of mine who were missionary kids. When the missionary went on deputation at a church and that missionary had young children, the children were expected to really behave impeccably. If the children were misbehaving, the church would often not support the parents who were the people on deputation. Really? Yeah, and it's an, it's an incredible so, amount of stress on missionary kids. So you'd be in, in church and there would be some, like a missionary coming through, and they would say, we need this mission because we're going to go spread the word of the Lord in, uh, I don't know, Kenya. <laughs> Sorry, Book of Mormon. <laughs> and the kids are are like maybe running around a little bit they're gonna say we won't give you any money because your kids are running like or like they're talking in church or they're not you know singing when they should be or they're not you know like there's as many transgressions of omission as there are of commission right and yeah so if the missionary doesn't it's it's a personal character thing it's like oh if you can't discipline your children well enough then you're not going to be a worthwhile missionary to support because your kids are going to distract people from the message or whatever Yikes. and the kids were expected to be on absolute best behavior all the time meanwhile these kids are eating whatever churches feed them and living out of probably a mobile home or a van 
And these kids are, are generally speaking, third culture kids who are being raised by American parents in a foreign culture. And so they've got a, an unusual mixture of expectations that they're trying to live up to. And depending on how old they are, they may not be able to code switch very well between what's normal back in you know whatever their mission field is and being in the United States. And so that's extra pressure. I was going to say they're often trotted out as like, look at my amazing, beautiful American Christian babies. And by American, of course, I mean white um, mm-hmm. Christian babies. And aren't they great? And the Lord has let us, you know, continue to grow our family, even under these trying uh, circumstances of living in this foreign country. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like they're kind of a trophy, which is super gross. I knew a, a family, a larger family, who were missionaries to China, and several of their children are very light-skinned with blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And their children, what I was told is their children were seen as lucky in China, and they would get mobbed in the grocery store by people who wanted to touch their hair or touch their skin. And those uh. those same kids, their youngest kids were maybe 3 and 4 when they came back on furlough the first time, and their their little kids kept stomping on the floor because or clapping their hands because that's how you turned lights on and off in China in uh-huh. the particular place where they lived. Uh, and the kids couldn't figure out how to flip a light switch because there weren't light switches. Okay, but lived. that's kind of funny. It was cute. That's that is Yeah, that's funny. cute. But the, there are Anyway, the pressures on missionary kids are absolutely insane. I remember growing up, I did not enjoy being a pastor's kid because there was so much pressure to behave a certain way. But I always literally thanked God for not making me a missionary kid and prayed that God would not call my dad to be a missionary because that was, in my eyes, the only thing worse than being a pastor's kid. Wow. Yeah, I could see that. And the missionaries' kids that I knew growing up especially— I wonder about them a lot because I'm like, how did that turn out? Because there's just a lot of competing factors that are going to mess that kid up pretty good. And I, I wonder how a lot of those things, you know, end up, you know, 15, 20 years later. Well, if they all turned out like Danica and Arch Radish, then we're good. That's true. I just fear that they are the exception, not the rule. Yeah, I like I like to think positive even when... It's not very logical. Fair enough. All right. Well, would y'all like to go take up the offering and we'll come back with another mission story? That sounds great. Yeah, let's do it. We will be right back. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. All right, we are back from our brisek. Uh, it is me, Gavrielle, here with Sadie and Dinah, we are talking about missions trips. Our next story is from Larry King. I thought Larry King died. I don't know. Larry. Laura, Laura King. I misread it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, who's reading this one? I can read it. Okay. Go for it. I could tell tons of these. The summer of my sophomore year at a conservative Baptist college, I went on a school mission trip to Nicaragua. I have a speech impediment and I stutter, which will be important in this story. We went around to different villages where we had a medical clinic, taking blood pressures and handing out Tylenol. We also went door to door, inviting people to parties and then witnessed to everyone in the style of Kirk Cameron on the way of the master. Oh, no. Oh, my God. What is this? Oh, you don't. You're not going to like it. I was forced to talk to someone to lead them to Christ. And I was afraid because the night before I was forced to give my testimony in a revival service. And I really struggled with it because of my speech impediment. I literally felt that I had done something wrong and that I had let God down. Oh, poor Laura. This time, however, I was able to speak to the person that I was told to and led them in the center's prayer. The whole mission team saw this as a miracle that God healed me of a speech impediment. I still stutter to this day. When we got back, the mission trip leader even wrote about this on the college website and explained how God used me in my weakness and even compared my stuttering as a thorn in the flesh, like what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12.9. The mission trip was what caused me to view my speech impediment as a disability and took away the confidence that I had before. Funny side note, for years, I was afraid that the person that I had led to Christ was actually going to hell because instead of saying, dear Lord, I know I am a sinner, I said, dear Lord, I know I am a Christian. Oh, rough (sighs) stuff. Very, very much. Wow. Yeah. Um... Being afraid that people aren't going to heaven because you didn't witness right is a very real thing for people who say that the sinner's prayer isn't magic words, but then definitely act like it's magic words. Do you want to know something stupid that I did when I was a kid? Oh, absolutely. So I got, like I talked about earlier, like I I used to have like a lot of anxiety about approaching people and talking about uh, religion and all that stuff, even though that's all I wanted to do because that was what I was told I needed to be doing all the time. So I used to practice witnessing to my dog and I would be like, okay, Puddin, repeat after me. And she would not because ugh, hateful, but I'm pretty sure that that is the dog that went to heaven because she got witnessed to so many times on, in my backyard. I used to line all my stuffed animals up on my bed and witness to them. Oh. So I was practicing for like group witnessing scenarios. That is, I did impressive. not have a dog. Oh. Yikes. Wow, man. You must have been just a tough hang. I'm well, sorry. I also like, practiced on my brothers. Dang. So I guess my brothers are going to heaven. So that's cool, right? I mean, let's hope. 
So, um, Gavi, you are not familiar with The Way of the Master. What is The Way of the Master? It says Kurt Cameron. I only know of him because he is. I, I like. I know of him. I haven't seen anything that he's ever been in. Uh, what? What? You didn't? Why would it, you didn't watch Growing Pains like reruns as a? Okay, I'm older than you. It's, no. Show me that smile again. Um. So yeah, he was a big. He was a big, uh, like teen star back in the day with Growing Pains. But anyway, he is he he converted to being an evangelical Christian. And works with this this guy named Ray Comfort, um, who is uh, from New Zealand, and he's an evangelist. And they do this thing, and you'll have to watch videos of them on YouTube or whatever. But they basically like create these weird logic knots for people, like man on the street style people, like witnessing to people. But they create these logic knots that if you were not in sort of a semi-confrontational environment where you're trying to defend, like, why are you doing these things? They don't really hold any water, but in that moment, they really work well to be manipulative and make you go. Cause it's the whole idea of like, almost like guerrilla style apologetics where it's you're like a word problem almost. Yeah. Like you're, you're setting up, this is the problem. This is the solution. If you have a problem, therefore you need the solution. I'm giving it to you. This is the only solution. You should take it. And you do it in a slick way so that people can't really stop your presentation. And they do the whole thing of like, well, have you ever have you ever lied? Yes. Well, what do you call someone who lies? A liar. So you oh, agree. That's way of the master I used to that growing up. Yeah. No, that's I just didn't know it was that. Well, that that's actually just a poly- like that is a, a witnessing technique, but that's what Way of the Master is really good at. And like, if you sit and watch it and you don't enter it with like a more critical eye, it's like, yeah, that does all line up. Oh my God. But I mean, but yeah, Way of the Master started, it looks like 2002. So yeah, Sadie, I mean, that might've been some of the stuff, or at least some of the techniques and things were, were probably directly influenced, um, but I'm certainly didn't invent that. They started, though, doing a TV show with Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort. And the, the TV show was, um, it was on, like, TBN and all of these, like, Christian networks. And they would show this TV show of them doing, like, man on the street witnessing and, like, people going all the way through and praying the sinner's prayer and becoming Christian. So, so it's like Billy on the street. Oh, but not funny and and charming and hateful. Well, it is. I mean, maybe a little hateful. So, Gabby, (laughs) you know, from a sales perspective, when you ask for a sale, you know, like all the sales techniques, like the person who speaks first or the person who makes the first offer loses. Um, Do you know when you ask for the sale, you don't give a person an opportunity to say no. You don't give the first offer as the salesperson because the person that technique um, you don't ask, hey, do you want to buy this guitar today? Because that gives the person the opportunity to say no. You say, do you want this guitar with a whammy bar or not? Right? Like, yeah. like all these like like really kind of sketchy sales techniques that typically leave the buyer feeling like they got taken for a ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, but Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's slick salesmanship, but religious. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, every IFB pastor that I've ever seen looks like a used car salesman anyway, so it makes perfect sense. I've known used car salesmen who are a lot less sketchy. 
<laughs> That's true. I have too. We both worked at a dealership. Yeah. So it's, <clears throat> but it's it's all of those like slick t- sales techniques where you walk away after making a purchase and you're like, oh my god, how did this even happen? And then you open up your phone to look at what the price for this thing that you bought actually should be, and you paid two thousand over sticker. Yeah, and but there, but like you like the thing that you bought, so you're not really going to go to the pro- the trouble of returning it. No, you're just going to pretend it never happened and maybe lie to other people about how much you paid for it. Yeah. yeah, it's all of that, but your eternal soul. Oh, no big deal. Yeah, um, interesting. We need to get some videos of this and like have like. See, I've, I, need I to have watch tried these. to do it the way that I used to, and I just I can't do it anymore. Just triggering to yourself. Yeah, like or... I can do the Romans Road <clears throat> the way that I used to because it's just muscle memory at this point. But I can't all of the like weird little salesy techniques that I learned. I can't I can't make it happen the way I used to be able to. Okay, take take me through that. I've done that. We did that on the breaking the script episode. Oh, okay. That's what you Mm -hmm. that's what it's the it's um, that it's I know I'm a sinner. Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. Sinners go to hell. Jesus paid for my sins. I want Jesus to take me to heaven. That's the Romans road. Okay. So and then you like and then you like you ask for the sale. You say. Now bow your head and pray with me. So you don't ask, would you like to accept Jesus? You say, now bow your head, close your eyes, repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, blah, blah, blah. That's really creepy. That's Can you? <laughs> it's so it weird is. because it was like a part of my life and it was a part of your life, Dinah. And but yeah. now you think about how weird would it be if somebody walked up to you on the street and started doing that? Just like bizarre. I saw I was walking Chuck out in our neighborhood a couple weeks ago before it started raining all the time. And I saw two guys walking towards me in like slightly oversized dress suits with white shirts and ties on. And I really thought that they were IFB people out witnessing. And I'm walking down the street in like my jeans and blue hair. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm a heathen. I'm I'm about to get witnessed to what do I say? What do I do? So they're gonna pick up just like anybody. I mean, you've got a you've got a baby that looks like well cared for. You're like the as far as everybody else in the city of Portland, they're just like, I mean, she has blue hair, but like in comparison to everybody else. Oh no, they'll witness to anybody. The the idea is that you confront everybody that you meet with this information. Not just the people who you think need it. Gavi, you're assuming that there's someone that they see that they don't think needs to be saved by Jesus. That is the opposite of their point. Yeah. They need to save everybody. It does it you could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you still need to be saved by Jesus. Yeah, and you get like bonus Jesus points. Like the more because because okay, so if, if you witness so if you come to Portland to witness to people, if you witness to some tech bro with a cup of locally roasted coffee in his hand, you get you get Jesus points. Metaphorical Jesus points in your church. If you witness to somebody who's wearing all black and a lot of piercings standing out of Starbar on a Sunday night, which is goth night at Starbar, you get extra Jesus points because they were clearly wicked before you witnessed to them. But if you witness to somebody like me who looks like a typical mom with a kid just with blue hair, you also get extra Jesus points because, oh, this person thought she had her life all together, but she was missing one thing, and that's Jesus. Man, the, your whole life sounds like a chick tract, man. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they base a lot of their lives on chick tracts. Now I want a t-shirt that says clearly wicked. That's, I mean, yeah. They probably sell those. 
I mean, we could sell those. We have merch. That's true. Our merch and our merchandise section has been like deeply neglected. Uh, well, we we keep saying we're going to do something with it. That means we eventually will. We've always we gotten to, to those <laughs> things. We just we're slow. We need to move on to the next part of of Laura King's story. Uh, I said your name correctly that time. Uh, you are not the uh, the broadcaster from CNN, but you are. You know, Larry King passed, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace. He had like he, he was married like eight or nine times. Um, What's the other part of the story? Well, we talked about uh, just like witnessing to everyone like we talked about the kirk cameron the master thing we should talk about the speech impediment thing Mm. yeah so that that to me that made me so angry because i almost felt like because what what does she say she says i'm i i was feeling confident before and then they made a big deal out of it and it made me feel really self it's almost like your church is negging you well they do that really oh yeah like they'll just like figure out what is the thing that you like that that is like outwardly your biggest flaw and then they'll just like harp on that until you feel like yeah because your your confidence has to be in jesus not in yourself so a big part of accomplishing that is making you hate yourself as much as possible well that made my day a lot worse to hear that sorry (laughs) yeah but is that is that sound right to you dinah yeah i think so i i think it's not in my experience, it's not necessarily overt, but it's something that um, they're going to use to their advantage somehow. So if you have a difference about you and you can uh, you can overcome it briefly, then then hooray! I I remember this is not this is kind of dipping into um, more sort of charismatic territory. But when I was in college, I had friends who went to some form of a Pentecostal church. And I had a friend who had like a degenerative muscular disease and was uh, using a wheelchair at the time. And she was able to stand and she could walk, you know, just a, a bit, but it was not something that she could do all the time. And in a prayer meeting, like she stood up out of her chair and she walked for like two steps. And then it was just like, oh my God, it's a miracle. And I was like, and afterward, everyone was just buzzing with, oh, the Lord healed her. The Lord healed her. And it was like, no, she can do that. And this is gross. And she felt like the social pressure that she needed to perform this thing for your benefit for whatever reason. And so like, it kind of reminds me of that and that, you know, to God be the glory because, you know, I overcame this thing, but really it's it's this thing that you've been using to like make me feel less than forever and ever. Wow. That's really huh. yeah, not great. So it's the same idea. And I, I brought I bring that up because it's yes, it is Baptist, yes, it is um uh, fundamentalist, but it's not strictly either of those things. It can it's something that you see in different areas as well. Yeah, and also I've talked about um how people with any disability or physical difference are there there is a societal pressure on them because it's oh well this person had every excuse not to serve god but look at what they're doing and why aren't you working as hard as brother so and so or sister so and so right absolutely and then that person who has a disability is now been has now been reinforced oh you have to continue performing at this level you can't have any kind of decline in your health and if you do you've got to just keep on working harder because now they're the example so it it hurts the people on both sides of the equation yep 
and Yikes. forces them to work more and work harder and push themselves harder than they should. Yep. Ooh. Okay, is that dark enough to move on to the next story? <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay, that was... I feel like we're getting getting to a pattern here. <laughs> Yikes on bikes. I didn't know this would be such a heavy episode, but here we are. Well... I mean, I guess it should have. You had me back. So this next story we've got is from Haley. Um, what does Haley say? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, all right. An LTLFTL. Uh, no, an LTLFTC. This um, is Fraser. Yeah. I grew up Fundy Light. The pinnacle of our youth was attending a sixth grade mission trip to Nashville, Tennessee. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. Great place to hang out. Uh, our mission was to run a vacation Bible school at a local inner city church and canvas the surrounding neighborhood to send their kids to our vacation Bible school. The vacation Bible school lasted three days and finished with an outdoor Carnival, actually, it just says carnival. Um, but I said carnival uh, because we're spicy like that. Sixth graders painting faces, throwing water balloons at the other local elementary. It sounds like a good time. Um, word must have got out about our vacation Bible school because lo and behold, we had a great turnout. Congratulations. Turns out folks showed up to our carnival with urine-filled condoms and proceeded to throw them at us while we were holding the carnival. As sixth-grade fundy light kids, we didn't know what condoms were, but the cool mom explained it to us, explained it to a few of us. We then headed out to have our dinner at the old spaghetti factory, fun times had by all in Nashville. Ooh, oy vey. Well. But like... Condoms are designed not to break, right? Yeah. I think it would be better to be hit with a condom full, filled with urine than it would to be fill, hit with like a balloon because the balloons are, are... Yeah, but I really would prefer neither one of those things happen to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. But I'm just <clears throat> saying like if in my if my memory serves in college, folks tried to use condoms for a water balloon fight and it was an absolute disaster. No, because they're lubricated. Well, they're lubricated, but also they don't burst. So you just like, it's like slapping someone with a salami. But I guess <laughs> is why you need condoms in the first place. Right? But these are, these are children that are, that are having this. Absolutely awful. What, and that's yeah. like this, it, it gets me. And this has come up in the Facebook group. So I want to get into it because I have had people spit at me, threaten me, sexually harass me, and wave guns at me before I was 18 out witnessing to people. I would never advocate threatening anyone with violence, but if if the best way that you are personally capable of handling adult people coming to witness to you is by telling them to f*** off, that's fine. If the best way you can personally manage to handle adult people coming to your door to witness you is by answering the door in your underwear with a bottle of alcohol in your hand. That's fine. But I feel really strongly about not doing things like this to children. I, I just 10 out of 10 agree. I just it it frustrates me because I get why you would want to do something like this to an adult person who was bothering you about Jesus in an obnoxious way. And I don't have an issue with this. I just I feel like people fail to differentiate between the adults who are choosing to be out here doing this and the children who have been forced or brainwashed into doing it. Because I was that kid and saw some shit I should not have been seeing. 
that was extremely enlightening. Maybe I feel like we could comment on the absurdity of doing a mission trip to Nashville, Tennessee, of all places. Because I was <laughs> I, like, I was under the impression that Nashville is a city with a church on every street corner. Am I, mean, I wrong? Well, uh, I mean, yes and no. So Nashville's definitely. It's very much a metropolitan area. Like it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful city. It's a cool city, and there are definitely lots of religious people there. It is part of the the Bible Belt. It is part of the South. It's also a city known for uh, its honky tonks, um, and it's a city known for the music industry that is not necessarily a Christian music industry. Um, there are. Uh, major universities there. Vanderbilt is in Nashville. Um, So like there's going to be a mix of of folks there. Um, And I think the real point of this is not that that there is a uh, like a a vacuum for religion in Nashville, but the point is that there's probably not a whole lot of these uh, super conservative religious folks in Nashville. So she said, uh, Haley said that they grew up Fundy Light. I'm guessing that that may have, you know, you're probably looking at something like a, a Southern Baptist or, or something in that general universe. Uh, and maybe I'm saying that because that's close-ish to where I grew up. But but yeah, I mean, there's enough centers there. And if it, that's the thing again, Gavi, it's, if it's not 100% perfect and right, then that is a mission field. I grew up in in Arkansas being told that the moment you step outside the church, you're in the mission field. And so like, yeah, it, it does seem absurd. And you also run up against the idea that folks who are not your specific strand of Christianity are not doing it right. And so they need to be told how to do it right. So you get yeah. back into like the whole, like Catholics are not Christians thing. Mm-hmm. Cause if um, you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus, right. You're still going to hell. Right. Well, like I even like, Growing up, so both of my grandfathers were um, preachers within the the denomination or whatever. And growing up, I was always like, well, what about the Methodist church that's literally right next door to the Baptist church that my mom's dad pastored? And the the answer was always kind of this like wishy-washy, like, we're not saying they're not Christians, but we think they've got a lot of things wrong and they could really be doing it better. And so we can keep witnessing to them and keep trying to show them how to be real Christians. And so, like, there's that whole thing of, of there's like a gradient of acceptability, even once you've crossed the finish line or once you've gotten to being some form of Christian, you still have to get all the way to my form of Christian or you're not really done yet. Ooh. Yeah, so even if you're not changing the eternal destination of this person's soul to go to heaven, you're still making a big difference in their life if you can bring them all the way over to your kind of Christian. Right. And also, your kind of Christian are obviously the best at bringing other people to Jesus, so you're making them better at bringing other people to Jesus. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's a pyramid scheme where like, <laughs> if I bring one person to Jesus and then they bring two people to Jesus, now I've got three to my name. And Right, and, and- you get literal so in there's a whole song dinah do you know the song thank you for giving to the lord oh Oh. so this is my new thing whenever we do interviews i uh pull a song out of the deepest darkest depths of my memory that will seriously trigger our interviewee yeah no we weren't ready for that one today uh is that ray bolts 
I don't know because we didn't do the recorded version because that had drums in it. We had we had our own version that did not have so, drums. <laughs> that one triggers me because the um my high school Sunday school teacher used to sing that as special music in like Sunday morning services and like that was one of his songs that was on rotation and he would get up and he would like talk a little bit and then he would cry a little bit and then he would sing the song and uh woof woof that one got me Sorry, I'll, I'll explain it to Davi so you can have a moment of recovery. Um, no, <laughs> that it is a song about um, a person who goes to heaven and they are greeted by all of these diverse people that they impacted during their life. And all of these people are in heaven because they witnessed to them and changed their life. And Wait, it's about this how guy lived, this guy lived longer than all the people that he witnessed to. Yeah. So did he well, kill it's them? A dream. It's a dream. Oh, is it a dream? Dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. Walked oh, we didn't use dream because thing. we didn't use dream. We because dreaming of heaven was sinful. Oh, we had, see, a, we had a lyric change for that. Oh wait, you, what? Dreaming of heaven is sinful? Yeah. How? Yeah, how no, you, it's supposed how, to be I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me and we walked along the streets of gold and by the crystal sea. But like, yeah, it's about it's this fantasy of like going to your eternal reward and seeing all the souls that you helped to save and and how that you know, is your credit as you get to heaven. It also makes me think of the concept of like, um, these are these are the jewels in my crown in heaven. Yeah, but then you have so you get Gavi, the, the the teaching is that you will get given uh, crowns in heaven for all of the people that you influenced for God or led to the Lord, and you will get jewels and gold and precious things, and then you have to go give all of that stuff to Jesus, and you don't get to keep any of it, which always made me mad as a kid. Wait, you're trying to get people to like do this on purpose so that they... Well, can go to heaven. Yeah, like, well, you will want to give it to Jesus because, because you, you love have, Jesus so much. You want right. to, to forfeit even your highest accolades and awards. Uh, you want to to surrender those to Jesus because so like he's so important to so you. So that gave and everything. that gave me anxiety as a kid because I was like, if I had a crown, I don't know if I would want to give it to Jesus. So here's so wait. So you you die, you get to heaven. And God's like, you brought 40,000 people to Jesus. Good job. Here is a Rolex Daytona. They're like, oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, rose gold Daytona. It's beautiful. And you put it on, you're like, oh, it looks so good on my wrist. He's like, well, don't get used to it. You got to go over there and give it to Jesus. Who is it's God? You have to give it back to me is what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here you go. Like, it's it's still like he could be just recycling the same jewelry to everybody. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? He could just God be is the ultimate regifter. Yes. He could like get, he would be like, OK, here is a gold bar. Go take this gold bar and give it to Jesus. Okay, you go over, you take the gold bar and give it to Jesus. You're like, okay, great. What do you want me to do now? Here's another gold bar. Uh, you're going to get one of these for every person. You have to go over. Like, he could just have fucking one gold bar and then just be passing it back and forth. This seems like... Well, I mean, the streets extremely- are made of gold, so like a gold bar wouldn't be that exciting. Right? So you're just giving Jesus like cement or like blacktop. <laughs> you just... And Jesus is like, I. Wh- what are you giving me this for? It's. 
And it probably won't surprise you to know that all of that is in the Bible in an incredibly metaphorical passage, but these people take it exactly literally word for word. Yeah, it's... it's Yeah. Okay. That is nutty. Man, it sounds like their vision of heaven is just like, I I don't know, it's like an escape room or it's like, you know, you're ever stuck in an escape room with people you don't really want to hang out with and you're just like, get me the f*** out of here. No, I've only been to escape rooms with people that I don't mind being locked in a room with for an hour. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like, yeah, I've done escape rooms, but just like with people I like <laughs> one of our one of our listeners actually um friend friend of mine um locked me in an escape room once that was that was you know what it's like it's like heaven is like fraternity hazing that's what it is that's that's all that this is is they're just like hey we need you to wear this like dog collar around your neck for a week and whenever somebody says are you a good boy you have to say rough rough i'm a good boy okay that kind of sounds hot though <laughs> That's like some fraternity hazing. Shit. I was never in a fraternity, but I um neither was I. Is that shocking? No. I'm <laughs> well No, I wasn't I wasn't interested at all, but I was in I, I was in a collegian, which is the Pensacola Christian College answer to sororities. Sororities. Were you guys good at flip cup? No. Doubtful. You guys good at beer pong? I'm sure some people in my collegian were. I got a really, really, really bad reputation in my collegian for uh, tying a cherry stem in a knot with my mouth on a collegian outing. Damn. And then I was like the bad kid, which which is a Damn. skill I'm very good at. Jezebel. But, Just yeah, like my, that's how I earned myself a really, really bad reputation. Throwing that information out there on the podcast for anyone to hear. Hey, my dad's dead. He doesn't listen anymore. <laughs> oh, there it is. Bingo. <laughs> it's a whole new world. <laughs> It's a whole new world, man. So here's here's a question about Haley's story real quick. Because Haley says the kids, when they were getting the condoms full of piss thrown at them, which is disgusting. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that, Haley, because that's really mean. The cool mom had to explain what condoms were to a few of them. Well, they're sixth grade, so that's not too bad. Oh, right. I for, for some reason, I read sixth grade. I thought six-year-olds, which made it A, meaner, and B, worse. No, yeah, they, they were sixth grade. So that's an okay. appropriate age to maybe not know what a condom is, but that's also an appropriate age for somebody to explain it to you if, if it, you know, is necessary. Yeah. Well, condoms could be, could be explained well at that age and not be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. But why is there a piss-filled condom coming at your head? That's a little harder to explain. I just want to say I do not condone throwing piss balloons at anybody except for Steven Anderson. Double points if you filled them with pee while you were sitting down. So our next story is from Caroline. So as a young adult, I went on a mission trip with the church I was attending at the time. It was a KJV-only church with Baptist roots. Before the trip, the women and girls were called in for a meeting to discuss modest dress. We weren't to wear tank tops or anything short. In the van on the way to NYC, our pastor's son was sneaking chew to us. At one of the stops, he suggested my friend take a photo of her skirt and send it to him. I think the Ew. boys and men should have been in a meeting before the trip about not being lustful. Because even dro- even dressed in long skirts and modest shirts, it didn't help the boys' roaming eyes. Once we got to NYC... I felt very embarrassed when I realized the goal of the trip was to sing hymns on street corners, pass out tracts, and hold up signs. I know we did other stuff, but those were the things that stood out to me. 
it felt very ineffective as a way to spread the Bible to people, especially in a city. Yeah. So the girls, they have to hear about modesty and what to wear. And the boys are in the van asking for upskirt pics. That is so typical Ugh. of the way the IFB church functions. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. I'm really no way. Not by this whole idea that they were also, were they, they were sneaking them chew, like chewing tobacco? Yeah. Ew. That's what I got from that. Is that what I for that? Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Like dip? Yeah. Yeah. Ew. What the f***? Which, well, like, you're not supposed to have any, like, tobacco is supposed to be off the table. Um, Aside from tobacco being off the table, that's, like, f***ing gross. It is. Like, it's it's that's, like, the grossest way to consume tobacco. I just want to know where they were spitting it, because it's not like you could spit it into a cup or a water bottle, because that would be too obvious. You could spit it out the window. You're in a van with a dude who's asking for f***ing upskirt pics. Yeah, but I assume there's, like, a chaperone in the van for this youth trip who would have noticed that everybody's spitting things out the window all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm confused by that, but... I guess that's not the point because the point is upskirt photos after they've been told to be modest. And also missions trips to New York City. Yeah. And like the idea that they're going to do anything meaningful by singing at strangers on the sidewalk. And holding signs. So is New York the most wicked city? Yeah. Uh, Well, other than maybe Vegas. See, the problem is if you go to Vegas and try to witness to people, you can't really do that unless you're dressed as Elvis. Or well, you're you wearing know, somebody. a bikini. Yeah. I mean, that might work. I, I noticed a Facebook post. I was um possibly Facebook stalking some fondy friends of friends this week. And I noticed a Facebook post where people were like, uh, let, let me see. Gathered to worship our Savior together in an area that is known for its sin. This is about a new a new church plant. So I looked up, like, where is this new church plant in an area that's so known for sin? It's in Dublin, California. Where? I don't know. I Dublin, California, wherever the heck that is. I've never heard of Dublin. Well, it's known for its sin, evidently. Now I'm fascinated. So any place can kind of be the most wicked city, but New York and Vegas are at the top of the list. Dublin, California. Let me look. Where is this? Uh, The city of Dublin is in East Bay. Come on. It's open. I need a map. Okay, hold. Um, I do remember working um, when I was in like late high school into early college. I did a lot of work with a church plant. Okay, it's so it's a Bay Area with a church plant in the Chicago area. And um, they never talked about Chicago being evil. So it was like, oh, well, you know, there, there are a lot of Catholics and unchurched people, but it's an okay place. So, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Apparently, it's it's a, such a sinful area that the IFB has got to go start a church there. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this would it's they're they're pulling on the reputation of San Francisco and Oakland and Fremont. Yeah, but this is like, but this is yeah out. This is like an hour from there. Yeah, it's, but it's you know, it, well, like, the evil is it seeps in. It's like it's it's closer to San Jose than it is to San Francisco. Well, anywhere in California like is is considered evil because all California is is beaches and Hollywood in the fundy. Well, and then San Francisco is weed and gays, so. Yeah, and public nudity. Oh, that's right. You're yeah. right. And Metallica. Uh, the, the fundies don't know enough about Metallica to know that they come from, from that area. Do they know enough about the Grateful Dead? No, no. They are not really interested in screaming about bands unless they have a scary name. I mean, the Grateful Dead is kind of scary if you think about it. Like, I'm really happy to be dead now. They got some satan, like some, some skulls in their imagery. Yeah, they've also got the cute bears. 
They're not going to say anything about a band unless it's super mainstream and has a satanic sounding name or has some lyrics that they believe are satanic. I mean, Metallica kind of fits the bill. Yeah, but I don't I don't remember ever hearing about Metallica growing up. You might have listened to it and realized you're a metalhead like years and years earlier. Who knows? So we have one more mission story that we're going to have time for today. And this one is, I think, a perfect story to end our episode. It's It'll end us on a, on a nice, funny note. Dinah, do you want to read this one? For sure. So this okay. story is from uh, Whitney Alex Barkley Denny. Um, and they said they're calling this a funny mission story. My family has a beach house in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The house is in a travel park. The front of the park is RVs and tents. The back part, permanent beach cottages. This is a paradise for a kid. There's a huge pool and water park, lazy river, arcade, on-site ice cream, etc. And we were mostly entirely unsupervised as children. So we'd just open charge accounts at the camp store and ice cream shop and arcade and do whatever we wanted all summer. Are we functional adults? Mostly. Somehow. Anyways... Every summer, several VBSs would come through and hold sessions in the morning. I don't know why. This was Myrtle Beach at a travel park. Literally 99.9% conservative Christians already. But my little brother figured out a way to scam the system. At the beginning of each week, they'd sit the kids down and ask if we knew about Jesus. My brother, each time, would say, No, who's that? This got him so much extra attention, extra snacks, extra candy. This poor little unsaved heathen. He was such a special case, he often got to go swimming with the counselors after the morning session, taken to lunch, and always got some sort of of end-of-summer award for his progress in knowing Christ. My brother, the Vacation Bible School grifter. This is an incredible story. (laughs) I love that so much. I love this story, man. Woof. I love that he figured it out. And and how it doesn't say how old he was, but like. What's he doing now? Oh. Probably made a bunch of money on crypto, but already got out. Good call. Oh, yeah. NFTs. Your brother sounds amazing. Right? The new thing is uh, don't invest in crypto anymore. Invest in 3D printed fake meat. Is that that where the next boom is? Because I watched a video about that yesterday and they were like, yeah, maybe. Dude, it's like here and it's not that good yet. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting very distracted. This is a really you thing to, to like have researched. I just want to put that into the universe. No, 3D printed fake meat. They make it out of like uh, a soybeans, peas, and uh, like chickpeas, flavor it to taste like meat. And it is like basically meat, but then they 3D print it. So it feels like meat in your mouth, but it's not. It's made from plants. I would try. I mean, it's it. a real thing, but you I would also, but I would also try pretending to not know who Jesus is, so that I can get special attention at VBS all week. Question: Is Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the same for Christians as the Catskills is for Jews? Uh, I, I, I think there are several of them because my brain goes Branson real hard. Well, Branson is Branson, Branson is Vegas if Ned Flanders ran it. Well, right. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like Branson is super like, uh, there's a lot of like Jesus-y entertainment and, but that's also regional, I think, because that's relatively close to where I am. I just have to wonder for all of the stories, and we got a lot of stories that we didn't have time to read that were about uh, missions trips to somewhere in America. 
I have to wonder for all of those stories, how many little VBS grifters were there like Whitney's brother who just knew how to game the system? I hope there were tons. You know, as as a normie kid, I can say that person like I could have seen like somebody that I hung out with doing that. But for me, I just I would have felt so weird about it because, you know, I guess maybe I was an anxious kid. And so I was afraid something bad would happen to me if I went to like a, a, a Jesus-y camp or something and just like these are, are weirdos i don't want to go hang out with them but if you like were, were maybe a bit street smarter than i was then you could have gotten a real payout off off of that well i got the impression that this kid was already like nominally christian yeah so it wasn't it wasn't something completely unfamiliar to him but he would act like it was to get all the extra candy and snacks and swim time yeah no that's what i got from it too is like oh i mean obviously after the first time he's run this scam, he knows all the questions and he knows all the answers. So like this little bastard is just like, Jesus, who's that? Oh, I've never heard. Of- oh, this is wonderful. Um- you think I should try that? If somebody tries to, to uh, uh, minister to me, to witness to me, I'll say, no, I've never heard of him. What would you say his name is? I think you should absolutely try that. And just see if you can pull a John Todd and collect money for a rehabilitation home for people who had never previously heard about Jesus. This gives me some real like Louise Belcher vibes, though. Yeah. Like, Jesus, I've never heard of him. Tell me more. I'm fascinated. Oh, yeah, that's great. So you're going to eat that? (laughs) (laughs) God, this kid's a genius. So on... On the note of this genius kid, I think we should go ahead and wrap up this episode because it's been unexpectedly dark. So I thought it would be nice to end with that little funny. Well, you know, I am a rain cloud. Yeah, let's do it. Um, thank you guys for listening to this episode. It's been Dinah. It's been so great to have you back. It's so fun to have you on the show whenever you come on. Will you come back one more time this summer to do a drag brunch for Pride? Oh, totally. Yeah, we'll okay. we'll find something like lighter and more upbeat so that we're not just talking about torture porn stuff. But yeah, I'd totally do another <laughs> drag brunch. Um and we'll we'll find something funny to talk about. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Uh, you can follow, uh, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon for an extended version of today's episode, including a story about cougar themed strip club, uh, which will be fun. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N, and on the web at npr.org. Oh, Dinah, do you want to plug your socials? Oh, sure. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Dinah Housefire. That's D I N A H H O U S E F I R E. Um, on Twitter at Dinah House Fire One or on Facebook as Dinah House Dash Fire. All right. And to everybody, uh, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. But old rolling river tide Healed me into many days No regrets, no concerns
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.